0: This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Annette Berkovitz to the program. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Bob. Thank you for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. Annette Liebeskin Berkovitz is author of the book In the Unlikeliest of Places. It's published by uh, Wilfrid Laurier University Press. It's out this year. It's the story of her father, Nachman Liebeskind, who survived the Nazis' gulags in uh, Soviet Russia and Soviet uh, communism. Annette uh, Liebeskind Berkowitz was born in Kyrgyzstan and grew up in post war Poland and the State of Israel before coming to America at age 16. In her three-decade career with the Wildlife Conservation Society in New York, she spearheaded that institution's worldwide science education programs. Her achievements include the first ever agreement to bring environmental education to schools in China. Annette uh, uh, Liebeskind-Berkovitz wanted to do a story about her father. And this began when her father was still alive. Um, Mr. Liebeskind died in 2001 uh, before the attacks on America. He was then living in the United States. Uh, You were telling me that unlike many survivors of the Holocaust and other uh, turmoils in in life, uh, unlike many folks like that, he did talk a lot about uh, the troubles in his life.
1: Yes. uh, My father was one of the probably a relatively small handful of people who felt compelled to tell the story. He lost 58 members of his uh, family, uh, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, cousins, and so on, and he just had that deep uh, commitment to telling the story, and perhaps interestingly, it was in direct contrast to one of his sisters who survived Auschwitz, who never told her children uh, about uh, the horrors she went through, nor about the fact that she lost a husband and a child. Uh, this is uh, an incident that's described rather vividly, I think, in my book when my cousin first discovers uh, what her mother's history had been after her mother's past. So, yes. My father um, uh, told my brother and me uh, our history when we were still young children
0: living mm-hmm.
1: in Poland.
0: And uh, maybe I should mention, I'll put it in now, that your brother is also, as as you are, you know, prominent. Uh, Daniel Liebeskind mm-hmm. is an internationally renowned architect and did the master plan for rebuilding the World Trade Center site in New York City, which has served as a blueprint for that site, including the the Freedom Tower. While your father was still alive, you had suggested to him that even though he had been open about uh, his past or things that had happened to him, uh, you encouraged him to make uh, recordings, uh, tape recordings, uh, before he passed. And you didn't think he did. And how did you finally discover that he actually had done that?
1: Yes. Uh, uh, as, As my father was getting on in age, uh, my husband and I encouraged him to record the stories, not, not because I didn't know them, but I just wanted to have a record of them, and I thought that perhaps in the telling there would be uh, more detail on sort of to, to, to have it uh, as a history, because his life really is a history of the, of the 20th century. Uh, so uh, we equipped him with a small tape recorder, which we encouraged him to take on his winter uh, trips to Florida, and, and he he wasn't thrilled about it. He didn't like all the little buttons, and uh, <laughs> we, we didn't know whether he was recording anything, but um, several years after his death, I finally mustered up the courage to go and clean out uh, his closet, and way at the back of the closet, I found a shoebox, and lo and behold, the shoebox was full of tapes. So... Uh, I I was amazed that he did record, and he labeled them all very carefully. And, you know, I was at once thrilled and horrified because they had been in a closet drying out, and I thought, gee, these tapes will tear and I'll lose what's on them. And I researched very carefully a, a company that would transfer them to CDs, And I had a phone call from the technician one day while they were working on it, and he said, oh, uh, Mrs. Berkovitz, I wanted to tell you something. And I immediately thought, oh, the tape tore. (laughs) And he said, oh, I'm so happy to tell you I enjoyed your father's story, and I loved his singing. And I was dumbfounded because I (laughs) I didn't know it was on the tapes, and I certainly didn't know that he sung many of the songs. He he, he loved music, and, and he recorded... Uh, dozens uh, of, of songs in Yiddish so that was a special treat and when I found those tapes i, I took them as my marching order to, to write the book
0: now did the tapes provide you information that you were not aware of
1: yes some of it some of it uh, yes there was a lot of uh, it, it's like filling out the painting with with a with a lot of detail yes uh, especially the story of, of how hard. He tried to persuade his uh, family, his siblings, uh, to escape Poland with him when the war broke out, but uh, everybody refused. He was the only member of his family who decided to undertake the escape, because at the time it was thought to be madness, because uh, this was uh, when uh, Germans occupied Poland, and uh, uh, the River Bug... Uh, was the the border? So uh, the 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 Germans were on one side of the border, as uh, the Soviets were on the other side. And crossing that river uh, with uh, the two militaries shooting at one another across the river was considered crazy idea. Mm. But uh, my father had uh, a taste of of what the Nazis were capable of, just in the couple of weeks before he escaped, and he took all of that into consideration and made the decision that the wisest thing is to leave everything behind and leave, hmm. and, and, and people were reluctant, oh, what about the home, what about our furniture, well, you know, how can we leave it all, and he said, it doesn't matter, just save your lives.
0: Now, maybe we could just you could just walk us through uh, the your uh, father's and parents' uh, lives. He the story begins in Poland. Is it Lodz, Poland?
1: Yes, yes it's In English, it's pronounced Lodz, in Polish, it's pronounced Łódź.
0: Okay, and he was there when the the Nazis or the Germans attacked that city. And the, But he, he was already imprisoned when the attack came, or I'm a little confused on that?
1: Okay, l- l- let me clarify this. Uh, let me start by talking about the incredible political turmoil prior to World War II in Poland. As my father was growing up, uh, he belonged to the Jewish Labor Bund, uh, which was a socialist party uh, primarily fighting for workers' rights. People at that time had work days that lasted uh, for 12 to 14 hours, if not longer, and very poorly paid. There was uh, extreme disparity between the city's rich and poor. Uh, So so there was tremendous turmoil, unrest, riots, uh, demonstrations, a lot of people killed by police. It was a very repressive government. And... um, My father one day uh, attended a political rally that was sponsored by uh, the Jewish Labor Bund, the Polish Socialist Party, and the German Socialist Party in Poland. And it it was an extremely uh, fraught event. The police uh, marched in, started arresting the speakers, and my father left. And unbeknownst to him, he was followed uh, by a secret police who shoved him into uh, one of those gates in in Poland. It's kind of hard to describe. It's sort of like a dark place. Mm -hmm. They pushed him in, and they planted a communist flyer on him, and they arrested him for being a communist. Now, uh, uh, these days, I think people may, may not quite appreciate the The difference and the hatred between the socialists and communists of that period, so if you were a socialist, it was impossible to be a communist because their beliefs were completely different mm. and uh, they arrested my father, he was a young man he had just turned twenty, and they uh, threw him in prison for political prisoners, which was brutal, and he was thrown in with mostly with communists and uh, tortured and and I throughout the book I talk about how hard I tried to extract from my father the details of what happened to him in that prison but he was such an optimistic person he didn't want to talk about that he wanted to talk about how well he got along with the other inmates uh because he said that our political beliefs were different but they were human beings and we were in the same situation so uh, and the reason I'm telling this part of the story is that he befriended one of the men uh, who was a, a, another prisoner who was a communist. And this prisoner saved my father's life years and years later after the war, so that's
0: Another mm. piece of the story. And a point of uh, clarification: Was it originally a Polish prison, and then the the Germans yes, came?
1: it was a Polish. Yeah. It was a Polish prisoner. Was before the war. Mm-hmm.
0: But then, when the war begins and the and the Germans come, that is that when he escapes, or he escapes before they they actually get there?
1: No, he escaped. He was out of prison long before the war began. The war broke out on September first, nineteen thirty nine. And at that time, he had a job. He was working, and uh, he witnessed several things that uh, he was sort of prescient in putting all those things that happened together very quickly. Because he escaped less than six weeks uh, after the war broke out. Because right after he escaped, I think it was the week after that, uh, Jews had to wear the yellow stars, and he couldn't have. He he couldn't have escaped. But what he witnessed was this. When the war broke out on September 1st, 1939, uh, the Polish government uh, called on all citizens to march towards Warsaw to defend the capital. Mm -hmm. And he was on that march, and as soon as uh, the, 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 mostly men, I guess, were were marching towards Warsaw, he saw uh, the Nazis uh, came and they just brought the planes real low, and they, they killed so many people along the way, and he saw they set fires to to villages, mostly Jewish villages, and by the, before they could reach Warsaw, uh, the Nazis were already uh, not allowing anybody to get towards Warsaw. They sent everybody back towards the city they came from, which was uh, Ludge in my father's case, and along the way, the the Germans made them clean up the the bodies and the dead horses, and and that field of devastation on the way back was so horrific to my father. And also, he had uh, had some uh, encounters with anti-Semitic bullies in, in the period just before the war broke out, where they uh, wanted him to prove uh, that he wasn't a Jew by taking his pants down, so they could look mm. to see if he was circumcised. Mm. And and he put those together, and then his sister told him about uh, a man who was coming uh, to um, uh, a, a kind of a social service office, uh, a Jewish social service office in the city. And uh, the, the the Germans. This was already just when Germans occupied the city. They grabbed him and they, they dragged him down into the street and they stuffed him into the sewer. Sure and my father heard all of those stories and he remembered he when he was a little boy uh, he encountered the Germans during world war 1 he was he was a young boy maybe 5 or 6 years old and he had rather pleasant encounters with the german soldiers and he was saying to himself H- how did these soldiers turn into these beasts you know mm. th- this is something different this this he saw the difference
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he said I'm leaving, and I'm going to try and take my family with me, but nobody would listen to him.
0: We're talking with Annette Liebeskind-Berkovitz about her father, uh, Nachman uh, Liebeskind, and her book about his life in the unlikeliest of places. We'll be back with our guest in just a moment here on The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. I hope you're enjoying this edition of the Historian's Podcast. Since we started in 2014, guests have included Adirondack's author Larry Gooley, Leader Herald columnist uh, Peter Betts, and fellow podcaster Liz Covart. We keep going financially because of your donations to our GoFundMe campaign that helps to pay production expenses. Please donate at GoFundMe.com forward slash historians 2016. If you'd rather send a check, please make it out to me, Bob Cudmore. Send it to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you. And let's get back to our podcast interview with Annette Liebeskin-Berkovitz. You've told us about your uh, father uh, coming from Poland and finally uh, escapes from Poland but uh, as the the Nazis are are coming in but uh, he, he kind of goes i presume the old cliche from the frying pan to the fire because where he escapes to is the Soviet Union
1: Yes well, well what happened uh he he once he came to the Soviet Union uh he uh this is uh, before Germans had had invaded the Soviet Union and um, he tried very hard along with uh, other people who escaped. There were about um, uh, several, I'd say maybe two or 300,000 people who escaped from Poland across the border. My mother was one of them. He didn't know my mother at the time. Mm-hmm. He escaped as, as a bachelor. And um, what happened is that... Uh, the Soviets occupied uh, parts of Poland uh, and declared all 2 million uh, Polish uh, citizens uh, now Russians when they annexed west uh, eastern Poland and uh people tried to get out of the country as 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 best they could so my father heard that if he could make his way to vilnius which was called vilna at the time it's now in lithuania mm-hmm. but it was in the soviet union if he could only make it there that there it was possible to get visas to to leave to 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 any other country america south america australia mm-hmm. he was willing to go anywhere just, just just to get out of there uh but uh it it was not to be uh when uh the, the, the Germans marched in. Of course, everything was uh, out of the question. It was closed down. But what the Soviets did initially uh, for the refugees that had come across the border, they asked them if they wanted to accept Soviet citizenship. And most people, uh, you know, people didn't know how long the war would last. They thought they're, they're going back home. They, they have no intention of becoming Soviet citizens. So they refused. And uh, the, the authority said, that's okay, fine. They let them go. But this was a, a typical uh, Soviet-style ploy. When they went home that night, uh, uh, soldiers and dogs uh, arrived at their home, and they were arrested. And uh, they were shipped off to gulags in remote locations. My father ended up in a gulag 160 miles north of Moscow, uh and uh they they were slave labor and they were they they were treated uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people died of starvation of disease um and uh, they 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 worked them until they died and mm. they, they, their uh, food rations were were minuscule until uh actually my father was part of a a group that created a work stoppage there because pe- people were dying like flies they just couldn't work anymore but then uh what what happened um when the soviet german war began in 1941 uh there was a pact or a treaty signed between the polish government in exile general sikorski who was the polish prime minister uh, and the Soviet ambassador, Maisky signed the sikorsky maisky Treaty, which was supposed to release uh, the Polish prisoners because uh, there was hope that they would all go and fight on the site of the Soviet Union against the Germans. Uh, they didn't let out all the prisoners as they were agreed. They let out only about 100,000. And my father was one of them. Now, mm-hmm. what happened is that war was raging on, on, on the west, uh, so uh, there, w- there was nowhere to go. And the people who were in the gulags were so frozen, they were in such cold environments, that all they wanted was to warm up and to get food. So they traveled as far south as they could. And the furthest my father could get was Kyrgyzstan, because the foothills of the Himalayas uh-huh any further progress and and that's where he met my mother who was an inmate of a gulag in Siberia really uh, and that's where they married and that's where I was born
0: wow um, eventually and uh, he is able to or your family and you're there by then you're able to get out of uh, Kyrgyzstan uh, and I, I gather, go back to Poland, or, or what was, what was happened? What was the family odyssey as time went on?
1: Okay, well, this is what happened. Uh, they were in a small village called Kizilkea in Kyrgyzstan, where uh, news didn't travel. We did, we did. There was no internet. <laughs> and there was no way to get news. So there were rumors about the slaughter in Poland, but people didn't believe it. They thought it was too outlandish. Uh, And, of course, both um, my father and my mother, uh, having come from Poland, were were desperate to get back to their families. So when the war ended, uh, they uh, tried to get back to Poland. It was extremely difficult. We traveled by cattle car. Uh, My mother was uh, (laughs) eight months pregnant when she embarked on this trip with my brother and uh, slept on the floor of the cattle car. I, 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 was, I was very young, but I remember the trip my, because it must have been so traumatic for a three-year-old. And um, the first stop where they arrived uh, in Poland happened to be Auschwitz because that's where the, huh. the gauge of the train tracks is different and you have to change trains. And they overheard the guards right at the station saying, who are these people in these cattle cars? Why are there people in cattle cars? And they heard the other guards saying, oh, it's Jews returning. And the other guards said, oh, too bad. I thought Hitler got them all. So that was their welcome back to Poland in 1946.
0: So you didn't stay in or you stayed in Poland for a while, but... Ultimately relocated to Israel when Israel well, we
1: couldn't get out. When my parents arrived in 1946, and my brother was born in a homeless shelter. It's quite it's hmm. quite something for him to become the one of the most famous international architects, uh, having started life in a homeless shelter. But uh, my, my parents were not in a position to. First of all, they were in Poland. Uh, My mother was ill, my my brother was born sick, Uh, uh, they had no place to live. It was a terrible situation. They couldn't uh, leave before they would search for their family. Of course, they searched and no one was left. But uh, the Soviet Union uh, took over uh, Poland under its wing, so to speak. It became a communist country. The door slammed. You couldn't leave. mm -hmm. My parents tried to leave Poland multiple occasions uh, during the 10 years that we lived in under communist rule in Poland, but uh, what, what the typical harassment technique was to say, okay, we'll issue an exit visa. You couldn't just pick up and leave. You needed an exit visa. And then you, you would get rid of all your possessions. You would be fully packed and give up your job, and they would say, sorry, your, your visa is revoked. So that happened to my parents several times, and in 1957, there was a political thaw for a brief time, and we got out of there very, very quickly, and went to Israel, where my mother had uh, some family that had emigrated from Poland way before the war. Mm
0: -hmm. And then from Israel, you came to the United States.
1: We did. My father discovered that one of his sisters had survived Auschwitz and was living in Pennsylvania, and he desperately wanted to reunite with her. But he also wasn't happy in Israel, and that was a a very big shock to him because in Poland uh, he, he couldn't speak his native language Yiddish freely. And at the time, Israel was a very young country. It was 10 years old. Uh, and uh, they didn't want any of what they considered the old ways uh, of the old country, and they wouldn't l- let people speak Yiddish. So, in, in, mm. in his land, so to speak, he was denied to speak his, his mother tongue, Yiddish. Mm. And that made him extremely unhappy. There was also big unemployment for, for people who were. He was over 40, and at the time, Israel was such a young country. If you were over 40, you were over the hill. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't get a job, he couldn't speak his language, and he wanted to see his sister in America. That became his goal. And he came first, and when he left, we didn't know whether he was going to be able to obtain an entry visa for my mother, for me, and my brother. So it was a very traumatic uh, day when he left because we didn't know when we would see him again.
0: But he did uh, go there, and and you did join him. And then there's a remarkable um, ending, if you will, to his life in America, he becomes famous as an artist.
1: Yes. Uh, My father had always been talented in art. When he was in elementary school, when he was in uh, second or third grade, his art teacher went to Paris and visited all the famous museums and galleries and wrote a letter to the class in which he described the, the excitement of Paris and he said, I hope." she said, I hope one of these days each of you will get a chance to visit Paris, but most of all Nachman, because I think his work is going to end up in a museum because of his talent in the arts. So he, he had been talented, but he was, he was a prisoner, he was a refugee. He, he, he had such a hard life that he never had a chance to paint. And when my mother was on her deathbed, she extracted a promise from him that he would paint, and, and he was such an optimist, she, she, he, he didn't believe that she would die, she, she had a, a, you know an incurable disease, but he, he was always optimistic, he didn't think she was going to leave him, and, and when she died, uh, my husband and I uh, took him to Florida, we took him to uh, art stores, and we bought supplies of every kind, because I had no idea what he needed. And 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 he said um, that he would try, but he was he was too he was too depressed. And then when I went back to New York, and I would call him constantly, saying, "Well, hmm. are you painting?" <laughs> and finally, he said, "I produced my first piece," and I was so excited because I had no idea what it would look like. I had no idea what was in his head, and who could have imagined that he had. That his paintings were so modernist, so full of life, so full of music and instruments isn't and,
0: that remarkable
1: and and his work did end up at the Bronx Museum of the Arts in many galleries. He had many shows uh, from the age of seventy two till the day he passed away. He produced several hundred paintings
0: wow well Annette and uh, uh, Berkowitz were uh, practically out of out of time on uh, today 's uh, podcast episode. The book, uh, once again, is called Unlikeliest or the Unlikeliest in the Unlikeliest of uh, Places, How Nachman Liebeskin Survived the Nazis, uh, the Gulags, and Soviet uh, Communism uh, and uh, ended up here in the United States and has a very uh, fine uh, family that continues on. Uh, The book is uh, published by a Canadian uh, firm, which is uh, Laurier University, Wilfrid Laurier University Press. Annette uh, Liebeskind-Berkovitz, uh, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Bob, thank you very much for having me, and I wanted to tell your audience that if they want to read a sample from the book or see more about my family saga, they can get on my website, com. Very easy, just my name, Annette Berkovitz. It's spelled with V-I-T-S at the end easy to find, and I hope uh, people enjoy it. Also can get uh, samples from my upcoming books.